This episode contains depictions of death by hanging, child abuse, and body horror. If any of these topics are difficult in any way, please join us on another adventure. Thank you. The car flipped over. The fucking car flipped over. I saw Vera standing in the road, or... It looked like her. Anyway, red hair and a proof, same facility uniform. It was really dirty by now. She must have been in the woods this whole time. But I, I don't think it was really her. Not really. She looked terrifying. Like she had more in common with the trees than with me. The headlights hit her face and then we flipped into a ditch, so... That's our steed gone, I guess. I woke up a bit ago. Everything looks fuzzy at the edges, that can't be good. I hit my head on the dashboard and there's a cut on my forehead that's still bleeding. Head wounds always bleed a lot, it's probably not that bad. I hope it's not that bad. At this point, with the amount of times I've hit my head, the real magic is that I'm still alive. This'll sound crazy, but... I'm talking to a dead guy anyway, who cares? I don't think I can die until I finish the story. I think I have to stay alive until then. Yeah, I can see you raising your eyebrows at me, Ben, shut up. I don't have to be scientifically provable, I'm an art major. I don't know where the wolf went. When I woke up, the driver's side door looked like it got torn off by something and there was some blood, but not enough to mean he's dead. Fuck, I hope he's not dead. I'll just stay here for now. I don't think I'd be able to walk very long without passing out anyway. This is what they tell you to do when you're a kid in case you get lost, right? Stay in one place? I hope he comes back. Until then, I guess it's just you and me again, Ben. Fucking fantastic. One of the benefits of being buddy-buddy with you was that they let me out of the, my cell at regular intervals and kept my door unlocked otherwise. I was only allowed in the wing of rooms around me, though. The rest of it was locked off. But it was nice to walk around and make sure my legs didn't atrophy too badly. They started unlocking the other doors, too. I saw Vera skipping down the hall a few times, running her hands down either wall. The lights started flickering whenever she passed by. She'd smile at me. Fuck, what happened to her? Tell the story, Sasha. Tell the fucking story before you bleed out. Tell the story before something comes and eats you, before the world finally finishes ending around you. Story's all you've got. Finish the story. I tried to visit Maxim as often as I could. I brought him most of the food they gave me. He was still tied to his bed, but I helped him wriggle out so he could sit and drink my tea. They gave us plain black tea with nothing in it, but he didn't seem to mind. He always asked if I was sure, if I wanted my food, but I just lied and told him it was fine, I wasn't hungry. 
I stayed between our two rooms at first, but eventually I started walking all the way down the hall and back. My room was on one side of it, and there were a dozen so others. Most of them were empty, but I didn't really mind. I liked seeing the structure of the facility. The place where the walls met the ceiling had the same fancy plaster work our old communal flat had, left over from before the revolution. I used to imagine whose house this must have been once. I imagined that person walking along the halls, stretching their legs, knowing they were free to leave and go outside whenever they decided to. I was thinking about that when I reached the end of the hall one day. The very last room's door was open and I could hear scribbling from inside. I assumed it was rats. I pushed the door open. There was a little girl in the center of the room, surrounded by scraps of paper she'd torn out of a notebook. She was gripping a pencil in one fist and scribbling what looked like random shapes. As soon as she filled up one piece of paper, she grabbed another. There was a nice stack growing next to her. I leaned against the doorway and watched for a bit. After a minute, I asked, What are you drawing? She flinched so hard she dropped the pencil and looked up. Not at me, though. She looked about a meter to the side of me. When I saw her face, I could see her eyes were clouded over, blind. Shit, I thought, I'm such an asshole. She was shaking now. How would I have felt if I'd thought I was alone and suddenly heard a voice from someone I couldn't see? Sorry I scared you, I said. Her head moved in my direction, so she was looking at me now. I'm Sasha, I'm one of the other... I'm one of the others. She seemed to study me, which I knew was impossible, but it made me uneasy enough that I continued. I was just watching you draw. Is it anything in particular? Those blank eyes continued to stare at me. I'm sorry if I bothered you. I'll leave you alone now. Have fun drawing. I turned to leave, and suddenly she started talking, words pouring out of her mouth like she was reading off a script. She said, They should have picked a thinner rope. I had a reasonable reaction to this. I turned around and said, What now? She went on like she hadn't heard me. Maybe she hadn't. The boy's body swings, pulled by the bitter autumn wind, and he grimaces as much as he can afford to. A thinner rope would have cut through his skin by now, and though we can feel the frayed edges of this one prickle where it meets my neck, it isn't doing much damage. The wooden structure around him creaks, and he holds his breath, what little of it is left, praying to the god he's been told hates him that it may fall. After a few seconds, it becomes clear that it is not going to. He tries to muster a curse to his lips, but the only thing that comes from his cracked throat is a sound that barely constitutes a moan. He cried for about the first hour. Words cannot describe how it felt. Pure agony. No air coming in. No respite. Simply him and the rope and the wind. By the time he got his thoughts together enough to realize that the idiots had forgotten to drop him and his spine was still intact, his tears had long since dried, clinging to his cheeks like the last remnants of meat clinging to bone. Another gust of air. Another swing. 
I contemplated leaving then, but something about her words felt important, felt necessary somehow. I sat down. I listened. She went on, blank eyes looking ahead. The bond around his wrist has started to chafe. He can feel the trickle of something that is blood or sweat or both trickle down his hand. And he twitches his fingers, taking small comfort in the fact that he can still move even a small part of his body. He struggled when they first strung him up. It feels like an eternity ago. But he kicked his legs, flailing in the air, seeking purchase on a ground that no longer existed, gasping up and up as if his desperation could somehow teach him how to fly. They'd clipped his wings long ago, but he tried to tread air like he was treading water. He considers the way people going to their deaths usually act. It is always the same pattern. Begging, screaming, bartering with anything they have. They go through all the words they can think of to try and find the ones that might spare them. They say anything and everything. They curse themselves. They appeal to their killish humanity. They threaten. They plead. Let them wait long enough and all but the most stoic eventually begin to sell others out. Everybody thinks that they would never be a turncoat. Everyone who says that has never stared down the business end of an axe destined for their neck. When your body learns it is about to tread air, your tongue becomes someone else's and God or the devil begins to speak through you, naming anyone. He knows he would have named everyone he knew. He would have sent any of them to the gallows to spare his worthless neck. He would have, but the only person he knows, the only one he ever knew, stood by and watched as the rope pulled taut an hour ago. He's left now. Maybe the sight of this was too much for his tender sensibilities. The boy hopes that was the case. He hopes his death is disgusting to his old friend. He hopes he causes some revulsion with his final moments. Who is he kidding? He's not mad at Artyom. He could never be. Artyom stood by and watched him hang, but still... Still, he'd burn the capital down if it made Artyom smile just once. That's what he's thinking about. He's hanging here, his bad leg not having to take his weight for once, the rope digging into his skin, and he's thinking about seeing his best friend smile. She gasped in a breath like she'd been holding it that whole time. I didn't say anything. I waited for her to continue. She continued. A raven flies down from the tree line and lands a few feet away from the boy's shadow. It tips his head in the same direction his neck had been forced and simply looks at him, its beady eyes the same shade as its feathers. The boy's mind supplies him with a verse, the easy comfort that comes with serfdom. Oh, Black Raven, I'm not yours. Are you sure? says the raven. The rope snaps. The boy lands on the ground, his legs both good and bad toppling to the side easily as driftwood. The sudden rush of air as the pressure is taken off his neck leaves him gasping, a beached fish. Spots dancing in front of his eyes may be the reason he does not question the fact that the raven has disappeared, why there is now a girl with red hair and shabby clothes poking him in the ribs with the end of a stick. She squints at him from above, and he notices that one of her eyes is scabbed over. Wheezing, he forces his eyes to remain open to meet her one. A shiver went down my arms. That 
sounded too close to Vera, but there's no way this girl could know what anyone's hair color was. Could she? I shook my head. It wouldn't have been the strangest thing to happen in this building. Shoddy craftsmanship, she says. And the boy cannot tell if she's referring to the rope or his body. Her voice is more clear than any peasant should be. That's what he notices in his half-delirium. She sounds like she could be a noble. Laiko, he coughs. Because, like all serfs, he was raised on a steady diet of stories. A figure from those tales seems to have come for his soul now. Whatever's left of it. Laiko, the one-eyed spirit of bad luck, who carries death wherever it goes. She pokes him in the ribs again and he chokes. Careful, she mutters. Throwing names around like, you know, everything. As if you weren't just hanging like a rabbit in a trap. He lets his eyes shut and tries to remember how to breathe. She, it, continues. You were just speaking to your god a few minutes ago. Think he's the one who saved you? Well, she pokes him again. Who's the one who broke your rope and made you fall, boy? There's another jab and he moves his hand to try and block it. He misses miserably. You, he tries. That's right. The stick hits him in the forehead and he's too weak to even try to block it. The blow feels more chiding than malevolent. Do you know why they strung you up? They say I'm a traitor. His voice is hoarse, but his throat still forces words out. A witch. That I was conspiring against the prince. Conspiring with Ardium, apparently. He thinks but doesn't say. She laughs and... Despite his shoddy condition, the boy has enough sense to feel terrified at the sound. The sound is close to dry brush crackling under the paws of something too big. No, rabbit, she says. They strung you up for a crime someone else will commit in a few hundred years. That doesn't make any sense. What? He rasps. That's why you get to live, boy. Your story's not done yet. They can't hang you for the sake of someone else. What do you mean? Who else? Who did they think I was? Oh, she grins. There was a prophecy about something an Alexander will do. Is that your name, boy? Sasha? His head is spinning. It's Alexander, but they call me Shura, he says. Well, Shura... Let's see if we can't figure out how to fix these broken bones of yours. The boy groans and feels his ribs starting to shift. When he looks at his hands and his blurry vision, it looks like it's sprouting gray hairs. Girl gasped for air again and blinked a few times. I stared as her posture slumped for a moment and then she snapped back to life, moving her hand across the floor in search for her pencil. It had rolled away while she was talking. Feeling numb, I picked it up and placed it next to her hand. She snatched it up and started scribbling again. I said, what the fuck was that? She shrugged. Sometimes I see things. Usually not as clear as that, but that was connected to you somehow. What's your name? My voice felt hoarse. Sasha. Huh. She stopped drawing for a second to consider. Maybe that's it, then. What's it? She went back to drawing. 
What the fuck is it about me? I told you. I see things. What kind of things? Like the past? Past, present, future. Usually the things I see are from different worlds, overlaid over this one. Like, when they put colored filters over a camera and you can look through it, and the images look different. How can you see anything at all? She smiled. That's the million dollar question, isn't it? Were you always blind? I felt like I was grasping at straws, like maybe if I found out everything about this girl, about what made her tick, I could figure out what the fuck her story meant and how it related to me. Oh, no. Not until my mama put some bleach in an eyedropper. How much shit can happen to these kids? How can this much shit keep happening? Who's going to stop it? Is anyone going to stop it? Why would she do that? To stop me from seeing things. She didn't want the government to come and take me. It was love in her own way. And it didn't work? She shook her head. She seemed surprisingly unfazed by this topic. She'd probably described it dozens of times. Just means I can't see the material world. I can still see all the others. How many others are there? She stopped for a moment, thinking. Then she blinked and started up again. You'll see. Fucking creepy, alright. What are you drawing? You'll see that, too. What's your name? She smiled again, less creepy that time. I got the sense she hadn't been asked that in a while. Yekaterina Vistoskaya. Finally an answer. So, Katya? The smile turned sad. Yes, Katya. Is that what your mama called you? I asked, softer. She hesitated. That was clearly poking at the wound that had barely healed over. Yes, she did. Katya, Katinka. That's what she called me. Is she dead? It almost felt pointless asking. I knew the answer. Surprisingly, she laughed. Sasha, everyone is dead. I would take Vera throwing me to the floor any day over this cryptic shit. What was the prophecy you mentioned? Which prophecy? Don't play dumb with me, Katya. The Alexander prophecy. She considered it for a second. I got the feeling this kid didn't say or do anything without thinking about 20 different options first. Will you throw something at me if I say you'll see? I might. You'll see. I ran back to my room trying to get the blood thumping in my ears to drown out the thoughts in my head. It never got quite loud enough. Ravens hanged boys and another Alexander. What the fuck does any of that mean? What the fuck does it mean, Ben? I just thought of it. I know, you'll call me dense, but I've been really busy. Anyway, I got it eventually. The boy at the end of the story, he turned into a wolf, didn't he? I hope my forest friend here comes back soon. I've got some shit to ask him. This episode of Go I Know Not Whether stars Thomas Malinowski and Allison Hurley. 
It was written by Thomas Malinowski and edited by Olivia Spreen. Cover art is by our friend Sasha. You can find them on Instagram at at an art post a week. Special thanks to our patrons, Tessa Padromo, James Harper, Jennifer Parlett, and John Ashley Mulvaney. Also, thank you to Val's Vignette Skofsky. If you'd like to support Go I Know Not Wither and any future podcasts, check us out on our Patreon and on our Instagram at at Malinowski and Spreen. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. The chances of children telling you horrifying stories about prophecies are low, but never zero. Watch out. We'll see you next time as we go we know not whither to find we know not what. <laughs>